Hi, welcome to today's episode of our new podcast series. I am Claire from Rooted in Language. Hope you've had a good day so far, wherever it might be. The goal of this series is to explore the continuing education that we are steeped in. We spend time learning, researching, expanding our understanding, and we wanted to share that directly with you. If you missed the previous episode, no worries. You can always go check it out. In that episode, uh, I had asked a question at the end, and the question I asked was what languages you spoke or have learned, uh, or what languages you're interested in learning. I am constantly amazed at how languagey <laughs> so many people are. Got a few responses about uh, being interested in linguistics and the way languages work. Um, language is such a fascinating topic um, in general. And uh, we had a response about someone who's working on language revitalization, which is this sort of helping um, languages grow that maybe are um, underutilized or have um, experienced sort of a loss of speakers, um, sort of endangered languages, which is really, really cool work, kind of amazing work um, to be bringing uh, languages back into um, a more, a more popular area or or more populated right and getting more speakers of a language um and how that sort of ties in with society and identity and culture and, and all those pieces um a lot of responses are from right people who speak english who have learned other languages in um like formal classroom sort of settings so like taking um high school spanish high school french that kind of thing um and uh, a very common theme of sort of forgetting language <laughs> over time, um, which is uh, an interesting point about language. And I think this is true, um, whether it's your first language or, or an acquired language, that we can lose things if we don't practice them, right? And if you've ever taken a language, you have probably experienced this <laughs> at some point that some of that knowledge, maybe grammar knowledge, vocabulary, spelling, right, pronunciation, any of those pieces, um, you can lose track of that information uh, over time, which uh, relates actually to kind of my answer to my own question here. Um, English is my first language, um, specifically Midwestern American English, which I'm going to come back to that comment kind of later in, in this episode. Um, but in addition to English, I spent uh, my high school and my undergraduate learning Mandarin Chinese and actually had about seven years of language study, um, formal language study, and then spent several years never using it, which is really sad and very unfortunate. Um, and because of that lack of usage, I basically forgot um, the massive portion of all of that knowledge. I am now getting back into using it again and trying to sort of recover a lot of that knowledge. Um, that's an interesting process, kind of this um, rehabilitating my own knowledge um, and, and dusting off things and realizing things that maybe are still very ingrained and, and have some, some deep knowledge in a language and some things that are just sort of gone and I have to relearn them completely. Um, also along with that, I'm discovering uh, this interest in learning Arabic, which is sort of on my want to learn list. Um, I basically know no very, very little about that language at this point, but it's it's on my dream dream language sort of learning list. So I mentioned that English is my first language. 
it also happens to be the only language I feel comfortable calling myself fluent in. Um, I know uh, quite a few people who are fluent in multiple languages, which is really an amazing thing. Um, but I consider myself fluent in English uh, and, and only English at this point. Hopefully, you know, maybe in the future that will grow. Um, but I did say specifically that I speak American English. And even within that category, I speak Midwestern American English. Um, and I specify that so much, which might sound a little bit uh, maybe excessive amount of specifying um, because of what is called world Englishes, which is what I want to talk about today. So world Englishes refers to this idea that English is spoken all over the globe by a massive population of people who come from a massive variety of backgrounds, cultures, lives, histories, all this stuff. Um, some of these different sort of flavors of English come from geographical differences. Some are from languages developing in tandem with others, right? Sort of two languages or three or four or five languages developing together. Um, some of this variety comes from English being introduced to different countries through globalization, colonization, travel, trade. Um, the age of the internet has uh, a big influence on the way English spreads uh, as well. But all of that, all this history and all this sort of ongoing uh, has resulted basically in a ton of versions of English being spoken all over the world. And despite all of these differences, they are all still considered part of this big category of English. So during the history of language instruction, and in particular language instruction in America, um, in the US, which I, I'm going to get into detail in another episode about that history. Um, but during that history, there's a lot of feelings about the best ways to teach a language, I put best in quotes. Um, and in particular, the quote, best way to teach English. Um, and for several decades, the sort of dominant notion was that the best teacher of a language was someone who was born into that language. So the best teacher of English would be someone born in an English speaking country and grew up speaking, reading and writing in English. That idea brings up uh, kind of a small side note of something interesting that I have learned about um, in the past few months. Um, the kind of person I just described, this person born into um, English and uh, who speaks, reads, and writes, um, might be typically called a native English speaker or a native English user. And I recently learned that this term native speaker, uh, which has been widespread for a long time, uh, is actually sort of in the process of being cycled out in favor of a different term. Um, basically, there's kind of this feeling that the term native speaker does not account for um, the fact that many people in many countries and cultures learn multiple languages, of course, and many learn a new language in order to travel or emigrate um, for work, for new opportunities. Um, and they work very, very hard to learn uh, the official or the dominant language of wherever they might be going or whoever they might be working with. People can spend years living in a new country and be incredibly proficient at that language, but never reach this sort of native speaker status because they're not born into it. Um, so that, among, among many reasons, uh, has led to kind of a change in the term. Um, so now the phrase that is being introduced and is used um, more recently to talk about someone's language is L1. 
So L1 meaning first language, so the first language you uh, learn, the first language you encounter. Um, so I would be an L1 English speaker, L1 English user. My L1 is English. Um, and then I'm working on my L2, right? My L2 would be Mandarin. Um, and sometimes L2 can refer to sort of any language you, you acquire next. And sometimes people sort of stack the numbers. You know, some people have an L3, an L4, an L5. Um, so just sort of a, an interesting side note there about, about terminology. Um, but going back to English language teachers, there was uh, a thought for a while that the best English teachers were L1 English users, which this, of course, brings up a few questions. The first being that is being an L1 user of language what makes you a good teacher in that language? Now, of course, that is a larger conversation and a very complex question. Um, but, but, you know, it's basically being born into a language, what makes you a good teacher of that language? And the second question is that if I want to learn English, and let's say I have an L1 English teacher, where am I going to be using, or how am I going to be using my new language? See, if I want to move to the US, let's say, that language is a little different than if I want to move to the UK or Australia or India or New Zealand or Ghana or a whole slew of countries that either use English predominantly or have English as their official language. So this gives rise or gave rise to this concept of world Englishes that the idea is that there's no one version of English and there's no best version of English. Instead, English is spoken all over the world by a rich and diverse population. And what you want to do with English influences how you learn the language. So this is a, a very diverse global perspective about language, and it might be different than how you have maybe thought of English, especially if English is your L1. Um, you know, speaking for myself, in sort of being steeped in my own language, I don't necessarily think about how it gets spoken or where it gets spoken across the world um, until you suddenly encounter it in this, in this uh, maybe unexpected way. So that diverse kind of cultural perspective is something we have to think about in what we produce at Rooted in Language. This is a sort of another layer that gets added onto this because we produce things that get used all over the world. And we often produce or say something initially thinking that everyone who's going to use it comes from a similar place as us, but that isn't true. This comes up, I think, most obviously when talking about vowels. And if you've taken our vowel chart class, um, you know, you may have been part of this conversation that there's quite a variety of vowel pronunciation across the world. And just, just talking about English, right? Not, not even introducing any other languages and the way pronunciation changes, but just in English, there's a pretty wide variety of how different vowels get pronounced. Um, and this difference can sometimes show up a little bit in spelling as well. The most um, obvious example of this being the uh, American English um, ending of O-R in a word like humor, H-U-M-O-R, versus the British uh, English spelling of O-U-R, H-U-M-O-U-R. Um, 
thankfully spelling does not get as heavily impacted as other aspects of language so we have a little bit more uh, um, sort of consistency there unlike pronunciation that can vary widely um, but vocabulary can vary widely alternate meanings is definitely a thing when you when you get different cultures uh, working with the same language idioms change slang changes from one culture to another um, so it, it's sort of this buffet <laughs> of differences um, that you sort of suddenly become aware of. Um, and of course, if we tried to produce something that takes into account every different culture and every flavor of English in our community, we wouldn't actually be able to produce anything. There's so much and there's so many options and so many ways to say things and perspectives um, that need to be acknowledged, that it becomes almost this, this Herculean task, this impossible task um, to actually achieve. This is one of the big reasons why the parent, the individual educator, is so important in the learning process. And it's also really important why knowing why you teach something being just as important as knowing what you teach right it's this individual variation that leads to that value that importance because we want literacy to be accessible to as much of the world as possible right but we can only provide so much we can only produce so much so if we as producers of material can build a guideline or offer a strategy, then you as the individual parent, the individual educator can apply it to your specific situation. This is really, really important to keep in mind if you are looking at language arts programs. Every company that makes a language arts curriculum or class is producing it from their perspective right, or a version of English that they have chosen, whether, you know, whether or not they, they maybe realize it, right, a, a company based in the UK is producing stuff from that perspective, based in the US is producing it from that perspective, right, and, and anywhere else in the world. Um, or they maybe have chosen intentionally to produce it from a specific perspective. And that perspective, that production style might be the same exact as you want to teach, or it might not be, right? But the odds are that there will be something that doesn't match the exact variety you use in your home and what you would teach, right? This isn't quite how we pronounce this in my part of the world, right? Or this isn't, um, you know, a word that we typically use, or we have sort of another term that we typically use in my part of the world. This requires critical thinking on the part of the educator, the, the individual educator, right? And it's why the home educator is such an important part of the process, right? We don't go from curriculum directly to the child because of this interim step that is, that is not just a step that is vital to the whole process, which is that home educator part of it. You know, while we, Rune Language, produce curricula and activities, uh, things that you can, you know, open and read and, and go do that activity, 
but we focus very, very heavily on strategy. Because if we provide you a process, then you can apply it to your exact situation. You can, can tailor it and mold it to be exactly what you need. Basically, we're building a toolbox, right? Kind of together, we as written language, teaching you as the educator, all these you know strategies, we're building this toolbox with all these tools in it. And then you, when you sit down with your child, can pull out the exact tool that you need, right? And, and make everything fit the exact way that you want it to for them. Hey, if you've hung with me through this whole episode, that's amazing. Thanks for listening to me ramble for a while. Language and culture are incredible reflections of the human existence. I love talking about them, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> and it's so cool to be able to share these things worldwide. Um, it really brightens everything we do. Um, which leads me to this episode's question. If you've hung with me so far, you're here for the question. Today's uh, question is, what part of the world are you listening from? You know, where are you hanging out when you hear this? Or where do you call home? Right? What part of the world are you in? And hey, if you have enjoyed this episode, give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, and of course, answer the question in the comments. I really do want to know. I, I'm excited to hear about that. Uh, join me in the next episode for my answer and some more thoughts on what we've been soaking in recently. Thank you for hanging out with me and I will see you guys next time.